If you have a Bible, turn with me to Mark chapter 11, verse 17. Everybody awake, say amen. All right, we're going to be a little interactive today. As you're turning to Mark chapter 11, I want to start with something funny and make fun of some pastors. I heard a story about three pastors that were sitting in a boat on a lake fishing. As they were there, one of the pastors said to the other guys, he said, you know, we never get to let our hair down, you know, and share the private things, the, 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 maybe the weaknesses or the sins in our own life. So in this setting, why don't we share that with one another so we can pray for each other? And so the first guy said, okay, I'll start. I'm embarrassed to admit this, but I have a struggle or a temptation with gambling. And every once in a while, I'll take off and go to the casino and I'll gamble. And, and uh, the other guy said, well, I, I, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm embarrassed to say that I struggle with cheating. In fact, there's been a few times I've not paid my taxes. Well, the third guy sat there quietly, didn't say anything. Kept sitting there quietly, didn't say anything. Finally, the other pastor looked at him and said, hey, you know, listen, we shared our innermost secrets and weaknesses, and you haven't said anything. We're not going to get out of this boat until you tell us your struggle. He looked at him and he said, all right, my problem is gossiping, and I can't wait to get off this boat. Hallelujah. All right, yeah, that was okay. All right, it's about a six, right? Six. <laughs> Amen. You know, before, in a moment, I'm going to have you stand. But, you know, this week on Thursday, we're having another night of prayer called Unite. In fact, we have a picture. I want to bring up a couple pictures from last Tuesday. We had an incredible time of prayer called Unite. Almost 400 people with kids and everything were in this facility. We were praying. We were calling out to God. We were calling people up for prayer. We were calling out and praying over our city. It was phenomenal. And you know, we're in 21 days of fasting and prayer, and I want to encourage you, come and join us Thursday night right here in the auditorium. Did I say auditorium? This is a pretty awesome place. Yeehaw! Come to the auditorium for some prayer. It's going to be a lot of fun. So we'd love to have you join us. Amen. Why don't you stand on your feet? We're in a series called Home. We're going to talk a little bit about the house of prayer that God's called us to be. These are the words of Jesus, and he told the people God's house is supposed to be a place of prayer. So I want us to read this passage together. Those of you joining us online, you know, we have church family that are joining us through technology. We have people in the Czech Republic, Monterey, Sweden, Great Britain, Latvia, Dallas, Houston. Can we welcome your online family that's with you today? Isn't that great? All right. Let's all read this together, those of you online as well as those that are here today. Mark chapter 11, verse 17. Let's read it together loudly. He said to them, the scriptures declare, my temple will be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you have turned it into a den of thieves. You see, what happened was the people were so caught up in other things that the house of God wasn't what it was supposed to be. And God was recalibrating things. I believe he's going to recalibrate some things at the beginning of 2016 as you and I become a house of prayer. Why don't you close your eyes? Holy Spirit, speak. Speak loudly, strong, boldly in this place. I pray that you'd help me diminish or decrease that you might increase. Let your power, let your voice be spoken into the hearts of every individual in this room and around the world. Have your way. Make us a house of prayer. Why don't you make that your prayer? Say that with me. Say, God, I want to be a house of prayer. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. 
We learned last week that when Jesus said, my house should be called a house of prayer for all nations, and we're going to dive into that idea of being a house of prayer for all nations, because our theme this year is into the world. And I believe God's calling us to go into the world. A house of prayer, we learned to be called a house of prayer. That Greek word is, literally means a surname. So just like me, my name is Jared. That's what identifies me as an individual. My last name is Ming, and that identifies who I belong to, who's a part of my family. The word surname, called, and what, what Jesus is saying is that God's house is to have a surname. And it's to be connected with something, identified with something. And it's not just giving, it's not just singing, it's not just serving it's prayer. If there's one word that designates my house, I want it to be called house prayer. And what we learned is that you and I are the house of God because now the Holy Spirit dwells within us and we are the temple of the living God. So the question is, what word is associated with you as God's house? Is it fear? Is it stress? Or is it prayer? And we learned last week that the thing God wants us to do is to pray first. It's so easy for us to plan first with New New Year's resolutions or to act first, right? But we learned that God wants us to pray first. And so we talked about home, a home of prayer. And we learned last week that home is where the heart is or home is where God's heart is. I want to give you the big point this weekend. I want you to write it down. You ready? This is really important. The big idea this weekend is this, home is where we worship. Home is where we worship. And what's interesting about Mark chapter 11, when Jesus says, my house shall be called a house of prayer, if you look at that Greek word prayer, it actually means prayer, but it also can mean worship. In other words, it could be said that Jesus said it this way, my house will be called a house of prayer and worship. Will you say that with me? Prayer and worship. You know that some things just go together. If you look at the Bible, prayer and worship are always together. Some things just always go together. For example, I'll prove it to you right now. There is salt and they go together, right? How about this one? Tom and? How about Ken and? Thank you very much. Some things go together. There's other ones like cookies and? We got an argument going on in here. Some said cream, some said milk. Okay, well, let's go. To, how about this one? How about strawberries and? Okay, how about spaghetti and? Thank you very much. Or if you live in LA, chicken and? Come on now, right? Or the one that makes the most sense of all, and that is peanut butter and? Thank you very much. If my wife were here right in this service, she'd be singing, we go together like Rama Lama Lama and ding 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 Anybody know that song? All right. As we look through the Bible, we discover that prayer and worship, they go together. You can find in um, Psalms chapter 141 verse 2 is an example. It says that our prayer is like incense and the lifting of our hands like the evening sacrifice, prayer and worship. Scriptures all throughout the Bible. I'll show you the one we read last week. If you have your Bibles or on your phones, iPads, go with me to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 16 through 18, or just look on the screens. Here's what it says. It says, rejoice, what? Always. Rejoice always. Pray, what? Continually. Continually. And then give thanks in all circumstances. Prayer and worship. Rejoice is a word for worship. 
Giving thanks is worship. Praying, prayer and worship. For this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. You can look in Colossians 4 too. We can go all throughout the scripture and we can discover that prayer and worship go together. So God is saying to us that his house, you and I as his house, it is supposed to be a house of prayer, but what that really means is it's a house of prayer and worship. Prayer and worship are important in our lives. I want to look at prayer from Jesus' perspective and when he teaches us how to pray. Because we know we're supposed to pray. We're supposed to worship. So what does it look like when Jesus tells us? Now, when Jesus tells us how to pray, most of us know the Lord's Prayer. And um, if you don't, then maybe you're new to church. We're going to say it together. Or you've probably heard it, even if you haven't been in church. But when people say or hear the Lord's Prayer, often they think that Jesus is saying, these are the words you should say when you pray. But how many know that, that in life that we don't just pray one thing? We many times have to pray many things. So Jesus wasn't saying you can only pray this prayer. What I believe Jesus was doing was giving us a theme of things that we should pray. So let's say the Lord's Prayer together. We're going to do it in the New King James Version. Ready, everyone? Join me. Ready? Our Father in heaven. Let's start again. Ready? Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today and forgive us as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. If you read this prayer, when Jesus says, when you pray, say, it begins with, our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be your name. That's worship. In fact, uh, um, one of the other books of the New Testament, when it gives us the Lord's Prayer, it ends with that. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. So prayer and worship. He begins with worship as he's teaching about prayer. So here's what I want to do. I want to give you, um, take this verse and I want to give you some themes that you and I can use when we're living a lifestyle of prayer and worship. Here's the first point. I'm going to give you two points today. You ready? Because the house is, home is where God's heart is and home is where we worship. So let's talk about prayer and worship. Point number one, write this down. Prayer and worship is about relationship. The first big theme that he gives us is that when you pray, it's supposed to be relational. In other words, connect with God relationally. If you read in Matthew chapter 6, before he gives us the Lord's Prayer, he kind of sets it up by saying in Matthew 6, 6, he says, but you, when you pray, Go into your room, and when you have shut your door, pray to your Father who is in the secret place. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. And then he says, in this manner, therefore, pray, our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. In other words, when you begin your prayer, here's what you need to know. Your Father is in the secret room. He's in the prayer room. He's in the place where you pray and where you worship. So begin by saying relationally to God Father. You see, we want to connect with God formally when it comes to prayer. So we'll begin prayers with, Oh God, who is thou the most majestic and great, right? And we go into this weird formal approach to a relationship with God. Here's what's interesting. Listen to the words that Jesus gives us. First of all, he says, Our Father. Let's start with our. Here's what he's saying. 
you're not alone. You're not isolated. You are a part of a family. You have brothers and you have sisters. You have siblings. You're part of a family. When you're praying, you're not praying alone. You're not the only one. You're a part of a family. In fact, the Bible says it this way. He says he takes the lonely and he puts them in to family. So you and I are part of God's family. And here's what's cool. The Bible says that there's power when we agree in prayer, when two or three agree as touching anything. There's power in agreement. So he begins by saying, hey, when it comes to a relationship with God, start relationally, not formally, and say our. I, I realize I'm not alone in this. I'm part of a family. Isn't it good to know you're in a family? Thank you, two of you. The rest of you are not sure. You just came back from family trip. And you're like, no, I don't want to be in a family. <laughs> Our, and then it says, Father. In other words, you have a father. You're not an orphan. You have someone who is watching over you. Someone who is looking out for you. You may not see him. You may not feel him, but... He's there. You have a father. I love what it says in Romans chapter 8, verse 15. It says it this way. It says, you received God's spirit when, you, when he adopted you as his own children, and now he, we call him Abba, Father. Abba means dad or daddy. In other words, when we begin with prayer, prayer and worship is about relationship. So we begin by saying, hey, dad. We begin with worship. Dad, when I, Father, when I think about you and all that you've done and how mighty you are and how awesome you are and that you watch over me and you protect me and you provide for me and that you love me even when I didn't even realize you loved me. You believed in me when nobody else believed in me. You sent your son from me. Oh, man, when I think about who you are, oh, Father in heaven, Dad, hallowed be your name. relationship. You know, it's funny. I have four children. It's not funny. You need to pray for me. Um, <laughs> I have four children and 21, 20, I'm going to be 18 and 15. And I have an office here at the church, but I also have an office at my house. And part of the week I'm working at my office at the house. And part of the reason for that is so that I can actually get time away and, and concentrate on preparing the messages for the weekend. When I'm at the office, at the church, I get pulled on by people, and there's meetings, and this person needs to talk to me, and we have this and this, so it's hard to have that time to focus, so I'll work in my office, and when I'm working in my office, you know, in the middle of the day, if, if it's before, you know, right after school's out, or maybe the girls are home for lunch or whatever, I'll be in my office, and I'll have kids walking back and forth, you know, in front of my office door, because it's right by the garage, and when they do, they'll stick their head in sometimes, and they're like, hey, Dad, and then most of the time, I'll hear things like, can I go? Or do you have any money? Come on, how many of you are talking about? <laughs> Can I have? But every once in a while, and, and I've got great kids, they're really sweet. Um, but every once in a while, I'll be in my office and I'll be, you know, on my computer and I'll be like, tch, 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 tch. and instead of a head popping in, a body will come in. And it'll walk in and they'll sit down next to me and they'll go, Hey, Dad, what's going on? And, I, and I'm usually focused. I'm like, uh, nothing. They're like, what are you doing? Trying to work. <laughs> I'm really just kidding. I'm like, I stop. I'm like, I, well, I'm, and then, and I, I had my youngest son, Hudson. He's a, he's a lover bug, and he just, he loves this kind of stuff. And so he'll look at me and goes, Dad, what are you doing? You working on your message? 
I'm like, yeah, I'm working on my message. He's like, well, how's it going? I'd be like, it's going good. And then he, he looked at me the other day and he goes, you know what, Dad? You're the best dad in the whole wide world. And, and I, I looked at him and I said, you're my favorite. <laughs> what do you want? Let's go online right now. Why? Because he was connecting with me relationally. And why do we think prayer is any different? Why do we think God, our Father, is any different? He says, when you pray, pray our Father in heaven. Dad, what's going on? Dad, thank you, Dad, that you watch over me, that you protect me. Can I tell you, I think the devil works really hard to try to stop you and I from being people who pray and worship. And here's why. We know, you know, in heaven, he, he tried to get the angels to worship him. We know that um, when Jesus was being tempted, what did he do? He said, Jesus, you need to worship me, and I'll give you all the kingdoms of the world. So he works hard at trying to get us to not worship. And I've asked myself the question this week, why is that? And I know theologically the answer is because the Bible says in the commandments that we're to have no other gods that we worship. But I think there's another reason. I think the other reason that he works so hard to cause us not to pray and not to worship is because he's trying to get you away from a relationship with your father. Because he knows that if we can just get in the presence of our father, what does the Bible say? In his presence is fullness of joy. In his right hand are pleasures forevermore. We know that in the presence of God, in the presence of our father, we have been found to, to experience protection and freedom. In fact, there's something about spending time with my dad, Wayman Ming Sr. I don't know how to explain it. I can't explain everything about it. But what I do know, if there's one word that I walk away with when I've spent time with my dad, it's simply this, security. Somehow there's a security that I feel knowing that I've been with my dad. And I want to tell you that Jesus came to give you peace, to give you security. And when you and I spend time relating to God as our father, relationally, the devil's trying to keep you from worshiping. He's trying to keep you from praying. Why? Because he doesn't want you to experience that security. He doesn't want you to experience that peace. He doesn't want you to experience that joy. What is joy? The Bible says the joy of the Lord is my strength. There's a lot of people that are weak and discouraged because they... They have a formal relationship with God. And what Jesus is saying is, my house shall be called a house of prayer and worship. And how do we pray and worship? Pray and worship is about relationship. Somebody say amen. amen. Ready for the second point? Second point is this. Write this down. Prayer and worship is about transformation. Prayer and worship is about transformation. If we read Matthew chapter 6, this prayer theme that he gives us, it begins with, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Man, I worship you when I think about who you are. And then verse 10 says, your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now, we're going to touch on the on earth as it is in heaven a little bit more next week. We'll come back to this part. But he says, once you've spent time relationally in worship and prayer with your father, the next thing that happens is you start praying things like, your kingdom come, your will be done. How many know that if you just spend time with a three-year-old for 30 minutes, that you'll never hear the word your out of their mouth? The only thing you will hear is mine. In fact, that may be the only word besides dada that they know, mine. 
And all you have to do is watch them play with all the other three-year-olds, and you'll discover that their whole character is built around mine, mine, mine. But what's funny is we try to teach our kids to not do that, but yet we grow up and we do the same thing. God, give me, help me, bless mine, take mine, watch me, take care of me. And what Jesus said is, listen, I want to bring a transformation. As you begin to know me as your father and have relationship, now suddenly instead of me and mine, it becomes you and yours. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. Others first, not me first. That's a transformation. Now, I found a verse this week that kind of ties into this, and it's really cool. If you have a Bible, turn with me to Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2. It says this. It says, I plead with you. Now, the second verse that we're going to read, many of us have heard this. Maybe you've even quoted it, and it talks about transformation. But what we don't see is the verse that goes before it and the connection. It says, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. Let them, in other words, our body, our mind, our soul, our, our passions, our thinking, all of that, our actions, says, let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship. So it begins with, listen, we need to be a house of worship, giving our lives over in worship, a living sacrifice. And then he says, don't copy the behaviors and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. So we know the verse about, listen, don't be like the world, but let God transform you by changing the way you think, and then you can know God's perfect will. We all want to know God's perfect will, but a transformation has to take place from mine to your will, not my will. But what's interesting is the key or the, the, the setup to that transformation is it starts with worship. He says, I will transform you. The word transform in the Greek, and I've used this before, it's the word um, where we get our English word metamorphosis. And when we think of that, we think of the transformation of a caterpillar into a butterfly. I've used this before, but every caterpillar, when they're born, they're always singing the same song. I believe I can fly. That's what they sing. Because as they're shuffling along with all those little legs, they know that they can fly. They're supposed to fly. Something on the inside is saying, I'm supposed to fly. And when the transformation takes place, here's the cool thing. They don't look the same. They're totally different. They don't walk the same. They don't act the same. And they don't sing the same because now they're flying. God says, I want to transform you where you don't look the same. And you don't talk the same. And you don't act the same. It's a transformation. Not me, mine, you, yours, thy kingdom. And then he says, I'm going to transform you by changing the way you think. The word change there is a Greek word which means renovation. So when you renovate a bathroom, for instance, you don't go in and just throw out a, a new rug and put a little paint on the wall. You tear out the old tile and remove it and put in new tile. You tear out the old, you know, formica and you put in some granite. It's totally new. It's something renovated and 
different, this transformation. So now you start changing the way you think. It's not the same you doing the same things. It's the new you doing something different. You're a butterfly now. You've got granite, and instead of formica, you've been transformed. But how does the transformation take place? Is, or what's the process in the scripture? Well, here's what we see. The Bible says that the way it happens is we begin by being a living sacrifice of worship. Now, those two words, they don't seem to go together. Living and sacrifice. The word sacrifice, by the way, in the Greek means to kill or to destroy. So basically, God is saying, if you want transformation, be a living, dead person. You're going to be a Christian zombie. Did you know God wanted you and I to be the walking dead? That's really true. Because what happens is, what does the Bible say? Crucify the flesh, deny yourself. You see, when we become people of worship, as we begin to worship, we begin to realize, Lord, I need to crucify myself today. I want to deny myself today and put you first. So I'm going to kill the old me, because here's the cool thing. When you kill the old me, what do we know? That we're baptized in our sin, but then what does Jesus do? We're risen again, and we're a new creature, and old things are passed away, and all things are become new. And the problem is there's a lot of us who are struggling with transformation because as we, we don't live a lifestyle of worship where we're crucifying the old me and so the new me has got long legs trying to walk on the ground and fly at the same time. Don't take a video of me doing that right there in post today. I just realized that looked really weird. What do we do with our children? We grab their hand and we go, no, not mine. Share. I have to tell you that I've found in my own life, when I spend time relationally, worshiping, praying, talking to God, I'm nicer. Ask Macy. I'm nicer. Because there's this crucifying, there's this ability to put down the old and the new is able to come. Something can't, listen, something can't rise again if it's never been put to death. And the problem is a lot of us have never allowed the resurrection power of Christ to operate in and through us because we're not being a living sacrifice. Prayer is about relationship. And prayer and worship is about transformation. You ready for the last point? Last point is simply this. Prayer and worship is about communication. Prayer and worship is about communication. I want to give you the next part of this verse, and we're going to continue on next week with the Lord's Prayer. But it says in Matthew chapter 6, verse 11, we read, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Your kingdom come, your will be done. And then look what it says. It says, Give us today. Everybody say, Today. Give us today our daily bread. Now, here's what's really strange about that. What basically Jesus is saying is, I want you to pray. How many know that we need bread? right? We need provision. We need those things. So here's what he's saying. Pray first. We learned that last week. Pray first for what you need before you need it. A lot of times we're reactionary prayers. We'll pray when we get into trial. We'll pray when we don't have anything. But what he's saying is, no, no, no. I want you to begin by praying first. I want you to pray, give me what I need before I even need it. And what's really, really interesting about this passage is 
I think what he's praying is, he's not even saying, pray, give me what I need. He's praying, God, give me what I need. Not give me what I want. Because we're good at praying, give me what I want. Because here's the thing, if God actually gives you what you need, maybe what you need is patience. Or maybe what you need is that friend in your life who is EGR, extra grace required. Anybody have a friend like that? Well, no, you better not raise your hand. They might be sitting next to you right now. Maybe what you need in your life is for your business to take off because it'll help bring all of your gifts to the surface and shape you to be a better leader. Maybe you need your child to be a little bit squirrely right now because it'll force you on your knees to put your trust in the Lord instead of trusting in yourself. You see, it it reminded me of a story in the Bible because Jesus says, pray that God will give you daily bread. Remember the story when Jesus is being tempted in the wilderness? And when he's tempted in the wilderness, the devil comes to him, which represents humanity, our fallen nature. The devil comes to him and says what? I know that you're hungry and I know that you need bread. You haven't eaten for 40 days, so turn that stone into bread and eat it so that you can have what you need. And then what does Jesus say? It's pretty profound. He says this. He says, no, 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 no. Get behind me, Satan. For according to the word of God, the Bible says that man lives by bread alone. Man thinks they know what they need, but... He says, man can only live by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. So in other words, God knows what I need. I don't know what I need. My lower nature doesn't know what I need. God knows what I need. So the way I'm going to really live, and a lot of us have never really lived because we keep eating big chunks of bread that are made out of stone. We keep eating things that we want, things that we desire, things that we crave that are things that God says you don't really need. Now, obviously, we need food. But what he's saying is, listen, could it be that God knows what you need better than you do? And could it be that maybe we need communication to hear the voice of God? We need to hear God's guidance and direction in our life, whether it's through a verse in the Bible he speaks to us or through a devotion or through someone sharing and praying with us or through that soft voice in our our, our being like Elijah heard when he was standing on the mountain. Listen, you and I need to hear the Lord. We need to hear what we need because if we hear what we need, here's the cool thing. The Bible says that God will supply all of your needs according to his will in Christ Jesus. Could it be that a lot of us are struggling, we're not getting answered to prayer because we're not getting our needs, our needs met. He said, I'll fulfill and provide all of your needs according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. When I read that passage about Jesus, I began to realize that there's a lot of us, maybe, we have the wrong needs. And what God's trying to teach us is to learn how to hear his voice, to learn how to say, God, you show me what I need. You provide for my needs. Speak to my heart. I want to show you something in John 16, and we're going to bring this to a close. John 16, verse 12 and 13 says, there is so much more I want to tell you, but you can't hear it now. Jesus was talking to his disciples. He was about to go to the cross. He says, listen, I want to tell you so much more. I want to speak to you about so many things, but you just can't hear it right now. How many have children in the room? Maybe you're watching online, you have children. 
How many know there's some things that our kids, they just can't hear right now? And Jesus says, listen, I've got so much I want to say to you, but you can't hear it right now. But he says, when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own behalf or on his own, but he will tell you what he has heard. He will tell you about the future. Here's what this is telling us. Jesus is still talking. What if the word became flesh and dwelt among us? The word is still speaking. Jesus still has things that you and I need to know. We need to know what we need. But we think we know what we need. And if we're not praying prayers and connecting with God relationally and asking for transformation, we'll never really pray prayers where we say, God, show me what I need. Because we'll just think we know. And we'll say, I need to take that stone and turn it into bread because I could sure use a little bread right now. Reminded of a story about this man. He was partially blind. His name was Stephen. And he grew up feeling a stigma about being legally blind. For him, sight consisted of a kaleidoscope of shapes, colors, and shadows. Privately, he would press his face close to the page of a book and memorize street names in an exhausting attempt to appear more able to see than he really could. But when Stephen was 39, his life changed forever when he acquired an affectionate and carefully trained guide dog named Corky. In learning to use Corky to lead him, Stephen reflected on his growing trust in their relationship. And he said, faith moves from belief into conviction and then into certainty. He said, together, the two of us are a powerhouse. You see, when Stephen admitted that he needed the help of a sighted companion, a new world of freedom and mobility opened up to him. Many believers blindly stumble their way through the Christian life in their own strength. Seemingly, they are unaware that God has provided a supernatural guide to lead the way. As long as your mentality is, I know what I need. I know where I need to go. I know what I need to buy. I know what decision I need to make. As long as you live your life from that perspective, you're going to stumble and you're going to struggle. What does the Bible say? Man thinks he knows the way that he should go, but the end thereof leads to death. And what Jesus, I think, is trying to help us understand is that when we begin to relate to God on a relational level as a father, as a part of God's family, and he begins to transform us through worship, and we offer our lives as a living sacrifice, and we start praying for others first and praying for his will, suddenly we start saying, God, lead me. Show me what I need. Show me where I need to go. Show who I need to talk to. Show me where I need to give. Show me what I need to do. Show me what I need to pray. And things begin to change, and the Holy Spirit comes you begin to hear his voice and you begin to really live. Man cannot live by bread alone, but by the communication of his word from the very mouth of God. Prayer and worship is about communication. God wants to talk. You know, there's a verse that says this in Amos 8:11. The time is coming, says the Lord, when I will send a famine on the land, not a famine of bread or water but a famine of hearing the words of the Lord. I believe that that prophetic word, even though it was for a certain specific time in Israel, I believe that it has ramifications today. That we live in a culture where there is a famine. Did you know that in America, I believe it is something like 8 or 8 to 15% of Christians say that 
they've heard, in other words, let me say it this way, 90 to 93% of Christians say they've never heard God speak to them. The famine. We need to live not by the bread of this world, but we need to live by the word that comes from the mouth of God because that's what is, that's the thing that we need. You know, I want to do this as we close. You might be here and you may not know what you need. You know, sometimes as a parent, you tell your children, this is what you need. Brush your teeth. How many know that children need to know that? Yes. When they don't, it's gross. You need to brush your teeth. I'm going to just be a little bit of a, take a parenting moment. I want to do it lovingly, but maybe you're here and you don't know what you need. Let me tell you what you need. You need Jesus. You may not realize it, but spiritually, there's all kinds of plaque. It's called sin. And we've all sinned and fallen short. The Bible says that we all make mistakes. We all sin, and that's the plaque. And that plaque, it separates us from God. It distances us from God. But Jesus came to remove our sin so that we could have a relationship with our Father. He's preparing a place for you called heaven. And you can experience that one day when you pass into the next life. But here's the cool thing. It's not just for the the days to come in eternity. It's for now. He wants you to live life and live it to the full. He wants you to live up to your potential, to experience all that he has for you. But you can't because of sin. So you need Jesus because Jesus will get rid of your sin. And he'll give you hope. He'll give you friendship with your Father in heaven.